Welcome to our community. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Don Butera. Good morning. How are you? I trust all is well. I trust you're doing well. I trust that you are connecting with God. And today, um, I have some things I want to share with you, but I must admit, right before I began to get ready to uh, give this, uh, this little talk here, I was really, uh, the word would be arrested. I was really kind of stopped in my track. And I realized I, I have to kind of just talk to you, like hopefully, you know, mpa And I have to ask us a question because we're in the series of uh, how to rebuild from the ruins. And, and my heart has been on the city, our city, our city Dempasar, our island Bali. Our, my heart has been on this uh, this journey of saying we need to rebuild and restore and see God cause this city to uh, prosper. As we've been praying, in, as we were praying in September, you know, our, our verse was out of Jeremiah 28. When our city prospers, we prosper. So my eyes have been towards the city and towards the people and towards kind of this whole situation and, and towards the people. And and, and, and last week we talked about uh, rebuilding. We talked about how to rejoice when the older generation may be looking at it in a different way. People who look at it the past and compare the future and, and how we can rejoice and how we can look forward. But today, I, I really, before we even begin, because I want to share four keys in restoring our city. I am in the, uh, we, we talked, I said we're going to be in Ezra and Nehemiah. We are now in the first chapter of Nehemiah. And something has just come over me, and I have to kind of ask you this question. Do you really care about your city? I mean, do you really care about the people in this city? I mean, that, I know that sounds like a kind of a, maybe an easy question to ask. Maybe as a, as a believer in Jesus, you know the answer should be yes. But sometimes I think that we're just so we care about our city because we're suffering. So then we like, we want to see our city prosper so that we prosper. But we don't want to just like see our city prosper. We just, we don't, we, do we really want to just see people restored and renewed and growing and connecting with God? Because this message that I'm going to share today, if you don't really care, won't seem Practical. It won't even seem relatable. But I'm telling you, we have to move. If we, as a people of God, do not move outside ourselves. Oh boy, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll get in trouble here. But you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a watcher. I'm a podcast listener. I'm a, I'm a, uh, a listener of sermons, you know. And, and, and I just see the... the, uh, the the, the amount of, uh, of sermons that are just based on kind of, in a sense, forgive me, self-help. Like, how can I restore my business? How can I restore my life? How can I restore uh, uh, my family? And, and, and most of it, and, and we love it and we need it. We need that. Of course we need that. But when are we going to get beyond ourselves? I mean, think about children. When our children are young, you know, they, they, they don't even have a clue 
on how to be a blessing to their parents. They don't even think about it. It's not even, it's not even a, a thought in their mind be, because they're young and they're, they're small and, they, and they're more concerned about, you know, what they want. I mean, we had our granddaughter sleep over and, and she sleeps over, you know, once a week over our house. You know the first words out of her mouth, the first words out of her mouth when she wakes up. I mean, it's almost exact every week. She wakes up, she kind of finally wakes up and she looks around and she said, I want some pancakes. Or can I have some pancakes? Her first thought is about herself. And as people, that is kind of our way. Our way is, is, is to think about ourselves. But we need to move beyond that. We need to start caring. As a matter of fact, I believe that's part of the, the principle and the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we move beyond thinking about ourselves and thinking about others, that's when God actually takes care of us. That's kind of how it works. And so today I want to talk about four keys that I found in Nehemiah chapter 1 in how to restore our city. Not how to restore your life, okay? I believe that when our city is restored, you will be restored. So I, I want us to begin to get out of ourselves. I want us to start thinking about the people around us and what is going on in, in their life. You know, I remember when I first came over to Indonesia, you know, um, I, 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 I love golf and I play golf. When I get a chance, I play golf. But if I just came here to play golf, if I came here, I, I say it this way, if I came here to make money, I might as well just go back home because I was making more money back in the States anyways. If I if, if I'm, if, if I'm just want to make money, I would have never left computers. See, we, and, but my heart, at least in some ways, have now moved from my, I'm trying to move out of myself and care more about people than my own life. And that's what it's all about. And so here's Nehemiah in chapter one. He's in captivity. Listen to this. He's in captivity. He's a servant of the king. But his heart and his mind is thinking about his city, the city of Jerusalem. And so this is... So even though he's in captivity, even though he has a lot to say, hey man, I sure wish I was out, outside of captivity. I sure wish I wasn't just a, a servant for the king. I believe he probably was something higher before that. And, 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 and now he's in captivity. And so he's, you know, he's a servant and yet his mind is on what is going on. What is the condition of his city? And so... Let's look at these four keys. The first thing I want to say is, if you look, if you look in Nehemiah chapter one, we're going to just walk through that chapter and see what happens in that chapter. The first thing we see is that he was willing and always wanting to ask and know about the condition of his city. Now, do you, do you often just kind of take some time and stop and think about the condition of our city. It says this in Nehemiah chapter one, verse two. Uh, it says, Hyanna, Hyanni, one, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who just arrived in Judah, who just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from the cap there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. 
So he's inquiring. He's like, what's going on in my, in my city, he says. I'll talk about that in a minute. And they say to me, things are not going well for those who have returned from the province of Judah, uh, to, uh, to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace and the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. If you know, if you've followed this uh, series, you see that the walls have not been built. All they've done is the altar. They're over there, but they're trying to recover the city. And ultimately, to recover the city, you have to build the walls. And so he hears this, you know, and when he hears this, I'll talk about it in a minute, when he hears this, he's crushed and he actually begins to weep. Let's think about the, consider, the condition of our city, Dempasar, of our island, Dempasar. I want you to start thinking about the condition. I want us to just, let, let's just think about it for a second. You know, there's a great deal of poverty you know, even before, even before uh, this uh, season that we're going through right now, even before this time, there was great poverty. I'm reminded of the, when I used to drive back from Krobokan, I haven't seen her recently, but I remember just watching this elderly lady, she's bent over and she's just riding a bike and she, she's not even riding, she's holding it and she's just, that's how she's walking. Every day she would walk home like that. Seeing people just scrounge around and just try to pick up stuff and get whatever they can get to survive. I think of, you know, I, I, we joke about it, but, you know, uh, you know, some have said, hey, let's go whitewater rafting, you know, up in the, you know, up in, in, uh, in the north of Bali. And I always laugh and say, it's not whitewater rafting, it's brown water rafting. Because the pollution of our rivers are so bad. And we hide it. Think about how we hide it. On, you know, in, in February, when the, when the tides change and all the plastic and all the stuff flows up on the very beaches that bring income into our city. Think about the condition of our city. Think about how people don't really care whether they take their garbage and just sweep it out of their house and let it flow into the streets because all they want to do is keep, keep their own places clean. Think about the contrast between the rich and the poor. I remember one, uh, one day uh, a few years ago, I was on the floor of, uh, of a, a dirt floor and we were, we were, we were helping some some people that were in need and we were ministering to them. I was there in the morning. That night, I had to rent a tuxedo and I was sitting at some of the classiest places that you can imagine in Bali. People call me from the States or from other places. Hey, I'm coming to Bali. Do you recommend a place to stay? And you know what I say to them? I say, do you want to stay in a $25 a night place or do you want to stay in a $10,000 a night state uh, place? What is the condition of our city? The thousands and thousands and probably millions of statues that are around our city. Places you go, you walk, and, and you actually step on them. There's so many offerings to 
someone other than our Lord and Savior? What is the condition of the heart of the people of God? It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says, but when Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, he saw a city ahead of him and he began to weep. He said, how I wish today that all the people would understand the way of peace. But now it's too late. Peace is hidden from their eyes. He began to weep when he looked at his city. When is the last time you weeped for your city. And when I say weep for your city, I'm not talking about weeping for your city because your business is hurting. But I'm talking about weeping for a people that you have fallen in love with. I've shared this uh, story and, and, and said this, you know, if you had a choice, I'll just say it this way, I'll keep it short. If you had a choice between, uh, say, say, uh, a hundred, a hundred million rupiah, a hundred million rupiah, or your child's health, which one would you choose? I mean, I know you're not even going to think twice. Bang. Or right, what about a, a million dollars? A million dollars U.S. Would you take the million dollars U.S.? Or if your child was dying, you had a choice, you want them well. Which one would you choose? You choose, you would choose your kid every single time. It wouldn't even, you wouldn't even think about it. I've seen many of you spend money just seeing your relatives uh, to try to keep, get your relatives well. I've seen people sell their homes and their cars to try to help make sure that their family is well. When it comes to your family, you will spend anything to see them well. Well, in that same situation, if you had 100 million rupiah and you had, it was just a friend, would you take 100 million rupiah or would you... Save your friend. What about a million dollars? Would it be your friend? What about if it was an enemy? See, I believe that there's millions of people crying out for help, and we're chasing after stuff for us. We have to. If we want to see our city restored and we want to see our city crying out for Jesus, it's time that we die to ourselves and live for others. See, we hear this expression, die to yourself and live for Christ. What do you think that means? It means die to yourself, stop thinking about yourself, and be like Christ. Give your life as a ransom for many. So Nehemiah hears about his people, and we see the second thing that he does to try to begin to rebuild his city, to restore his city. The second thing he does is he prays, he prays, he prays, and he fasts, and he prays, and he fasts for his people. It says in Nehemiah chapter 4, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, after I heard these things, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Praying and fasting day and night, something in me says, I hope that September was not something that we did once and we stopped praying for our people, for our city. And we said, okay, we've done, we've done our job. We prayed for one month. Now, God, you answer. When is the last time we acted like the widow 
who was going with the unjust judge and just kept banging for justice. I will keep knocking until I get the answer. And let's wear God out. Let's get him wary of our knocking, of our praying. Let's begin to weep for our city. Let's begin to weep for the people. Let's begin to not be able to walk by people, the poor and those that are, that are deceived and calling out to gods that are not gods. And, and let us stop and begin to tell them and begin to pray for them and begin to, to work with them and help them and show them the good news of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. If you know the story out of Jonah, uh, Jonah went to the city of Nineveh and in Nineveh he told them and he, he began to tell them the, the, the news that, listen, they need to repent because if not, their city is going to be destroyed. And, and, and it says this, it says, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. This is the king of Nineveh. He tore his robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat down in heaps of ashes. It's like a sign of mourning and prayer. And then the kings and the nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, not even the animals from their herds and their flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must, uh, uh, must wear garments of mourning and everybody must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop their violence, all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps when even yet God will change his mind and hold his fierce anger from us, from destroying us. And when God saw that they had done this, how they had uh, stopped their evil ways and how he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened, the people finally turned and began to say, God, we're going to just keep praying to you until we see something happen. Some of you, some of us, I'll say this, I don't want to say you, I want to say us. Me too. It's, it's something I'm going through too. I believe that God, I want to say it this way, God is breaking us. He's stripping away everything that we have held on to. Why? So that we hold on to that which is right. Some of us have just, and, we, and I did this at the beginning, uh, we just basically kind of held our breath and said, okay, we'll wait until it's over so we can go back. I believe that that's God's like, what? This is my point. God, I can see God saying, this is my point. You're holding on to something you shouldn't be holding on to. Let's get back to the real thing. Saving souls, caring for people. Let's stop worrying about building our businesses and making money. If we want to rebuild our city, we've got to move to this place. And then, you know, God notices this prayer from the Ninevites. It was a city in trouble. And it's funny, this is, this is kind of uh, how, how the, the format of this prayer is. So I'm going to give you a format for prayer. The first thing is, they confess their sins. I confess that we have sinned against you. Right? This is Nehemiah. And then he petitions God. He says, in verse 8, he says, remember your promise that you gave. And then verse 10, after he says, God, remember your promise. I'm repenting of my sin. 
And I'm going to share this in a minute. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then he says, and then he says, rescue your people. See, he doesn't even ask for himself. He says, rescue your people, God. Rescue your people. He's his prayer is totally focused on others. His prayer and his thoughts are pretty. And then I'm moving. Uh, and then, then Moses, uh, uh, Nehemiah says, I'm moving out. So uh, he says, I'm going to start doing something. And Lord God, grant me success. Please grant me success success by giving me favor. That's what he says. And that's the prayer. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I just want to show you the format of prayer. Think about the way you've been praying. Oh God, help my family, help my business, help my, you know, help me uh, stay safe, help me to survive. It's the last time you prayed for your neighbor. Was the last time you prayed for your city? Like, well, let me give you this next one. And I wish I could have come up with a really nice term for this because then I could hashtag it and do everything that everybody does and it would be really cool and then I would be considered a cool pastor. But I couldn't come up with a, a term. I just basically call it kind of like this separation syndrome. It's kind of a separation syndrome. What do I mean? There are so often times where we see ourselves separate from society or separate from our problem, separate from our city, separate from our world. What am I talking about? Well, it's kind of like when we sit around and we kind of like pray for our church as if it's separate from us or we think of our church separate than us or you know we know the problems of our church you know or, or you don't even say it that way you say I know the problems of the church see when you say I know the problems of the church you just separated yourself from it are you catching that or we 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 you know we say the problem with the problem with society as if it's it, we're not part of the society it's this kind of separate, it comforts us. We, we kind of separate ourselves from our city, separate ourselves from, from, uh, from our church, separate ourselves from what we see as the problem, as if we're not part of the problem. But the fact of the matter is, we are just as much a, a, a part of the problem. I, I mentioned this kind of last week, and I'll, I'll say it again today. You know, uh, we, you know the kids nowadays... Kids nowadays, I wish they were more, they weren't so lazy or whatever, you know. I wish they would stop playing on the internet, you know, blah, blah. As if we didn't raise them. As if we didn't put it in them. Kids are a product of us. We must restore from within. We must start to restore from within. We can't separate ourselves from the city. We can't separate ourselves from the fact that this, our, 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 our rivers are polluted, that there are poor in our city, that there are people who are offering up sacrifices to things other than a God. That's our sin too. I don't do it. You're part of it. It's interesting how all these people, Nehemiah says, I confess. Now, Nehemiah is in captivity, okay? And he hears what's going on in his city, and he says, I confess that we have sinned against you. We, he uses the word we. He's not even there. 
but he related to it. It was part of him, his people. He was part of his people. Yes, even my own family has sinned. I have sinned. He's saying it's me too, God. It's not just the people. If this is common. Moses does the same thing. In, in Exodus chapter 33, he says, immediately, Moses immediately threw himself on the ground in worship because uh, God was talking about the people that were down on the bottom of the, the, uh, the mountain. They were sinning, and Moses was up on the mountain. He says, oh, Lord, if this is true, and I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Like, God said to Moses, I'll go with you. Forget your people. And he's like, no, my people are me. My people are me. Dempasa is me. Kuta is me. The fact that, that there's, there's, there's people being trafficked, women being trafficked, I play a part of that. Oh God, forgive my sin. Forgive me for my lack of, of willingness to change the world. I even said it wrong. Change our world. I'm part of it. We are all part of this. We are all one. Isaiah says this. In chapter 6, he says it. He says he, he sees God. He says, and he, he sees God. He's with God. And it says, then I said, oh, it's over. I am doomed. I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people of filthy lips. He says he's just his part. His people of filthy lips. He's got filthy lips. He's together with his people. Are we identify? Are we are we identifying with our city? Have we felt the heartbeat of the city and cried over it? Are we are we repenting for the wrongdoings that our city is doing against our God? It's our city. We are just as much a part. When you, if, if you thought of yourself, when I talked about sin, then you already have that separation syndrome. I'm willing, how many times are we willing to repent of our own sin, but we, we don't repent of our church's sin or our, or our community's sin or our society's sin? See, we separate it to make us feel better as if we aren't part of it. I know this is a hard message, but it's time we leave ourselves and care and make this world our own. Jesus, it says, it's such the most simple verse that, that we've heard, heard said many, many times. For God so loved the world. He so loved it. He felt a part of it. Matter of fact, Hebrews said he came to help the descendants of, this is out of Hebrews 2, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary, listen to this, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. He had to identify with us. He became like us so that he could offer up our sins to God. We must become part of our city so that we can offer up the sins of our city to God. And we are the ones who sacrifice. I don't know if you're getting this. I hope you're getting this. So 
We've got to look at our situation, ask about it, and then pray over it, identify with our city. We need to do these. And then finally, number four, Nehemiah's prayer wasn't something that he just sat and prayed. And day and night he prayed. Eventually he got up. Eventually he stood up and he began to walk and he began to take steps of faith believing that his prayer was heard by God. We can't just simply pray. This is part of this separation syndrome. We pray for our city, but we never step into it. We pray for a city. We pray for our neighbor. We never tell them about Jesus. We pray for these people, but we never get in there and actually try to change things. It says... You know, I'll, I'll say this with the hands. It says in Proverbs, the hands of the diligent are fully satisfied. That means those that are actually doing things will be satisfied. And you step out in faith. You take a step out in faith. After you pray, you take a step out in faith to begin to win and restore the very things that you've been praying for. Early the following spring. So he'd been praying for a long time. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, one month during the 20th year of the king, I was serving the king his wine, and I had never, this is really interesting, and I don't have a lot of time to cover it all, but I find this very interesting. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified, because you're not supposed to be like that in the king's presence. But I replied, long live the king. How can, I be, how can I not be sad? Listen to this. How can I not be sad? Have you been sad for your city? Are we sad for our city? It's why I came to Indonesia. Because when I heard the people in my heart crying out for salvation, it's why I came. Three days I laid on the floor and I wept for the people of Indonesia because I kept hearing them crying out for help. He said, he said, for how, so he said, how can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors uh, are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to God from heaven, I replied, if it would please the king, if it would, if you would be pleased with me, your servant, send me, Lord, send me. Lord, send me. Say it. Lord, send me. Send me to the city. Send me. Not just me. I'm saying you need to say it. Lord, send me to my city. Send me to my helpers. Send me to those that are hurting. Send me to the poor. Send me to those who need Jesus. Send me to those who are praying to the wrong God. Send me, Lord. If it please the king, send me to Jerusalem to rebuild the city where my ancestors were, 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 were buried. There's so much in here. I'll just give them to you quick. I ran out of time. First, you remember he, he used his connections to bring about change and restoration. He used his connections. He used his connections to bring about change. He didn't use his connection to get a promotion. He didn't use his connection to get a better house. He didn't use his connection to make his life better. As a matter of fact, his life was pretty good. And now he was going to a city of ruins. But he used his connection. He had a current job. And the interesting thing about his job is he was always pleasant in his job. 
And his job was simply the wine, the, the, the cup bearer of the king, which means he tasted the wine before the king did so there was no poison in it. He was a simple slave, a servant. But it says he was always happy. He was always happy doing his job. That will help you if you need a favor from your king or from your, from your employer. And he sought favor, and he asked with boldness. He, he asked twice. I don't have time to go into it, but he asked for more and more. Once the king said yes, he said, I need letters. I need, I need all kinds of stuff. You have not, because you ask not. And the Bible says, come boldly before the throne to receive the things that you're in need of. Our city is in need. I must admit that when I come to God, it's not just for my own needs. We need to start coming for the needs of others. And he asked for favor, and it was all about others. And then finally, so not only did he use his connection, ask with boldness, but he was also very specific. I, I have found, people, I have found that when I'm with people that have connections and people that, you know, have the ability to bring favor to, uh, to our land, I have learned that, you know, I treat them with great respect and honor, but I ask boldly, and I usually ask for a lot. I remember I was sitting with this one guy one time, this was years ago, sitting with this one guy, and, and he said to me, he said, so you want some money? And I said to him, no, sir, I don't want money. I want a lot of money. And it wasn't for me. I wasn't asking for me. It wasn't for, I didn't, it wasn't for my money. It wasn't for me. It was for a, a project. He said, <laughs> he said, you want some money? I said, no, I want a lot of money. And you know what? He gave it to me. Be specific. And then I told him what the money was for. It wasn't for me. Be specific in your question. Your, when someone asks you what you need, you be specific. Very good to be, you know, just know exactly. It's funny. Jesus comes in. I'll close with this. Jesus comes in. He sees a blind man. The blind man is yelling out, oh, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, the guy's blind, right? And Jesus comes over to him. And what did Jesus do? Heal his blindness. Not really. No, that's not exactly what he did. He didn't do that. I mean, he did do it, but that's not what he did. He walked over to the man and he said, what do you want? What do you want? He asked the blind man what he wants. Of course he wants to see, but he had to be specific. Jesus, I want to be able to see. I want my sight back. Ask boldly. Ask big and be specific on what you need. Be specific on what you need. So I guess I'm saying today, do you care for your city? Do you really care about your city? I'm not talking about your situation. I'm talking about the situation of our city. Do we care about the health, the spiritual well-being of our city? Do we care about it? Do we want to make a change? Is it enough that we're going to just pray and seek the face of God, pray day and night until we see something happen? And then take steps of faith and not separate ourselves from the situation, not make it look like it's not us, but really identify, identify with our city, the people of our city, and, and make it our own. I believe God will do a restoration process when we begin to do that. I want to pray for you right now. I'm just going to ask that you bow your heads. And I want us to pray. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray first. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Lord, 
pray, Lord Jesus, that you show us, that you give us, give us your heart for our city. Help us to hear the cry of the Spirit for our city. So much so that, Lord God, it becomes part of us. That, Lord, we can't just sit and care about our own. Lord, I pray right now, this is the blessing I pray over everyone listening right now. I pray, Lord God, that, Lord, you would bless them and keep them and you would cause your face to shine upon them. And, Lord God, you would so give them compassion and passion for the people around them, for their city, that, Lord God, they would give their lives to seeing our city restored. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go out this week and bless someone by seeing, by restoring them and helping them and seeing them smile because they've been touched by not only your hand, but by the hand of God. God bless you.